It is a really tough time in the, in the life of the church, not just this church, but, but every church as far as I know. Um, different ministries <clears throat> struggling, different aspects of the church. Um, there's been many churches across the country that have just shut down um, because of lack of participation, because of guidelines, because of uh, whatever, whatever the case may be. Um, and so we really need to be praying uh, for what, what God would have for us and um, what, what God would have for the church in America and the world. And uh, if you're feeling a call on, on your life to serve, and if Christ has just been good to you, you know, it shouldn't be that, you know, Steve has to come and beg people to, to come and help. If the Lord wants the ministry to go, he'll supply. If the Lord doesn't want the ministry to go and he wants to transition to do something else, then we'll have to do something else. But I hope that won't be because um, you guys uh, are not willing to put the time in when, God, when you know God's calling you to do that. So let's don't let it be based on our disobedience and our hard-heartedness. And that goes whether it's CR or um, bucket groups. We'd love to start bucket groups back up, but uh, really the only reason bucket groups haven't started back is that we've got nobody to do spout on Wednesday nights. Uh, so we can't really do bucket groups if we don't have anything for the children to do. We've tried to do in-home child care, and that's a real struggle. And uh, so some uh, bucket groups are choosing to try that route, um, but we would love to have the ministry start back up, spout that we do community outreach for the children on Wednesday nights, but um, we just, you got to have people. Um, so, and you can't just have any, anybody, but you got to have people who love Jesus and who want to pour into the children. And it's, it's a tough ministry. I mean, you've got kids coming from not just the bucket groups, but from different sections of the community and um, some of them are rough around the edges and some of them are hungry. Uh, some of them are um, craving attention and sometimes that can come out in different ways. But that's a beautiful ministry in and of itself. So uh, we would plead with you and you at home, you know, that um, if you love children and could help with that, it would be huge. It would help our small groups to get up and going like they should be anyway. And our CR ministry, our men's ministry, um, all, you know, missions, evangelism, so all, all types of things that need to, uh, need, need attention and need some help. So anyway, search your heart, see how God is calling you to help and where he wants you to plug in. And, and I, I think I can hit this with one big blunt stroke too, that, um, you may be like, well, I just don't know uh, where God is calling me. Um, I think I would be fairly safe to say that if you're doing nothing, then you are being disobedient somehow. Because I don't think God calls you to do nothing, okay? So, you say, you're getting close to my toes, preacher. Well, I will dance all over those bad boys. If you're sitting in this room and you come to this church on a regular basis and you help in no ways, you should be ashamed of yourself. If you get mad, there's probably churches out there that wouldn't say anything to you. This ain't one of them. So get busy, get to work for God, and be used by God, okay? If you feel still trying to figure it out and you know, I'm not talking to you. But if you've been here for a year or two and you're just like, well, I just don't know. I know, you're lazy, all right? All right, so get busy somewhere. All right, I'll talk to my wife later about those comments. 
<laughs> yeah, she'll talk to me later. I'm not going to look at her right now because I feel the, the eye, okay? So, and I'm trying to concentrate, okay? All right, turn your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 3. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 3, we'll see if we can make it through uh, verse 11, but uh, you know how that goes. <laughs> yeah, verse 1, that was good for today. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 11. Let's all stand to our feet. I'm just going to read, um, I'm just going to read actually the last verse, verse 11. Actually, I'm going to put, I'm going to read uh, verse 10 and 11. Colossians 3, verses 10 and 11. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and in all. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. So let me move rather quickly through uh, these verses. I don't want to go so fast that I don't give you a decent understanding, at least to the best of my ability, of what the text is teaching. But I do want to unpack <clears throat> verses 1 through 11 uh, the best I can to show you what God would have for you now that you've come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. We've looked at Colossians up through chapter 2. And we've gotten to chapter 3 now, and we've looked at Christ Jesus being the creator of all things, uh, being the rule and the head of all authority, having disarmed all the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. We see that uh, Christ is the substance of uh, all of the shadows of the old covenant, all of the laws, all of the rituals, all of the festivals, foods and days all point to Christ and lead to him uh, we understand that everything that that grows in uh, the person and work of christ is the only way that anything grows to god uh, that true growth and maturity is only in god through the person and work of jesus christ we also have understood at this point that if you have died to christ this is verse 20 and to the elemental elemental spirits of this world uh, why, as if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Now, there are some questions surrounding this that would lead one to ask, as I teach, that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law, but not just of the law, but of self-abasement, uh, of self-asceticism, to any type of self-regulating in order to bring about spiritual maturity, or holiness, or righteousness in any way, that Christ Jesus is the fulfillment of not just the law, but of righteousness, period. What it means to be one with God, complete in God, and perfect in God's eyes in order to have relationship with God. So it says here, so, you know, why do you regulate, submit to the regulations of do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, and referring to these things that all perish away? It says here that 
These are according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they're of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. And I want to just talk about that last sentence before we transition into chapter 3. So whether, whether you agree with me on the law or self-abasement or self-religion, what I hope we can come to an agreement on is, is that no matter how hard you try and no matter what you do as according to any type of teaching or any type of religion, any type of, of self-willed um, sanctification that external uh, intentional mastering of the flesh apart from Christ apart from the the fulfilling aspect of Christ's life death and resurrection it is useless in bringing into submission your fleshly desires. Let me say it another way. You can set as many rules as you want to for yourself. You can get those rules from anywhere that you like. And you can follow those rules the best that you can. But apart from faith in Christ... Your sin nature will not only bring you into disobedience to whatever law you seek to put over yourself, but it will magnify your sin. For as you seek to obey a law in order to gain maturity, righteousness, sanctification, justification, in order to seek progress toward Christ then it is self-willed sanctification and it is of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Now, the question that arises out of that should be, and, and granted, I understand, would be, so what do you mean, Brennan, that we have no rules? That there are no rules? That's awesome. We're free in Christ. Christ has secured our righteousness, and now we don't have to obey any rules, any laws. We continually just do whatever we want to do. That is a natural question that would flow out of that, and if you've asked that of me, that's okay. I feel as if I'm in good company because that's what they said to Paul. As Paul taught that Christ is now the complete fulfillment of the law, and he has no righteousness of his own, but all of his righteousness is in Christ, and Christ is the complete and utter fulfillment of the law. They will say, this teaching is blasphemous. This teaching is, is denying that the law of Moses was, was godly. It is, it is making Moses out to be unholy, and you are making a mockery of the things of God, and people are just going to sin rampantly, and rampantly they're going to just do whatever they want to do. And Paul says, since the grace of God is here, may sin abound? May it never be. Should we see it as a license to sin? That since Christ has fulfilled the law and, and become our righteousness in our place? No, may it never be. And so my desire today is to answer that question uh, in Colossians chapter 3, I believe Paul answers the question. 
What then of those who have come into this reality that the law of Moses, the, the idea that we can, we can pursue after and obey a set of rules in order to be set apart for God, that this has been accomplished, it's been fulfilled, that we have, to use the words of the scripture, that we've died to the law, we've been released from the law, that the circumcision counts for nothing. What, what, what are you saying, Paul? Can we do whatever we want to do? And I would say, absolutely not. I want to answer a few questions today, and the way I'm going to do that is I'm just going to go through just verse by verse, and I'm just going to let the text speak for itself. I hope that's what I'm doing, and we can discuss later. Verse 1, if then... You have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. You see, the text here makes a distinction, and I don't think it really comes out in the ESV, um, but in, and not even really in the original language, because if you look at here, it says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. That could really almost mean set your mind on the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. And you might think, well, that's kind of the same thing. Seek the things that are above. But the word that is used there in the first part of this uh, section, and when it says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. This is the, the way it's used in context from, from several commentaries that I read and, and the research that I did, and it makes sense in the context, is that it's making a distinction between the heart and the mind, the heart and the head. And what it's saying here is, and it'll, it'll draw the distinctions out too when it starts talking about the things that you shouldn't do. And remember, the question is, is that, well, how, you know, what's to govern us now? Or if we're free from the law, if we're free from self-regulation, if we're free from all of these written code standards, then, you know, do we just do whatever we want? Is there, you know, are we, are we less governed? You know, what governs us? He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, so you've died in Christ to the law, you've been raised in Christ in the newness of life of the Spirit. If then you have died, if, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. This word seek there is to set your heart on those things, to desire those things, to long for those things, to pursue after those things. You see it? To seek those things. That you would have, that you would find your desire in the things above. Now, some find their desire in the things below. And the things below can be a myriad of things. It can be things that seem to be good, things that are bad, things that are obviously bad, things that are indifferent, whether it be things that could be used for holiness, that could be used for evil and, and, and unrighteousness. But the bottom line is, is that, all, and here's going to be the thing that I'm going to try, try to drive home today. Unless this is right, every bit of this is wrong. It does not matter. It does not matter if the thing. So let's take the law of God. And I got. I can't spend a lot of time going back and forth on this. But the law of God, we understand, is perfect. It's perfect. It's holy. It's perfect. But when this is out of whack, all of this is horribly broken. So whereas the law is perfect, the law is described by Paul in the book of Corinthians is the, the ministry of death. Why? Because of the weakness of the flesh. The perfect law brought death and magnified sin because of the weakness of the flesh. Because the heart was not right. We were not right with God. The, the law had not uh, come into full view. We had not been transformed by Christ. And therefore the law killed us. It was a sentence of death to us. 
But it's not just the law. It's anything. Anything here on this earth that's good, okay, in and of itself, relationship. It's good that you're married. It's good you have a child. It's, it's good that you want to work hard. It's good that you like to sleep. Sex is good. Eating is good. Drinking is good. Everything is good, right? Everything, every good gift that comes down from above is good. Robert, come on. We're, we've moved away from sex. Let's, let's move on, okay? <laughs> that every good gift that comes down from above is from God, right? Every good gift is, is from above. It's from God. And it's to be accepted through God. But when you're not right with God, then everything down here is broken. That's why, see, have you ever thought about it? All sin is just a twisting of something good. Pornography. Twisting of, of God's good gift of sex within a, a, a heterosexual marriage. Um, laziness is a, a twisting of God's good gift of rest and sleep, right? Greed and workaholics working and, and disregarding their families. A good gift gone bad, you know, creativity and desire to, 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 to make something happen. All of these things are wicked twisting of God's good gift. So he says, seek the things that are of God. Well, in, it, this is setting your heart on the things above, setting your heart on the, on the things of God. Remember the book has already talked about Christ who is seated at the right hand of God, that Christ who is above, Christ who rules and reigns, he is the head, he is above, that we set our minds on the things of God. Now remember, this comes right out of that the things that, we get, that are here on earth are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So that you set your, thing, your mind on the things below, and you say, well, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. And you've got your mind here that it's no good. That all it does is make you want it more, right? And when you can't have that thing, if you can somehow make your hand not do that, it just grabs something else. Because all of your attention is here. There's nothing heavenly, transcendent, setting you free from the things down here, which is what CR is about. That Christ is the only thing that can, this relationship with Christ is the only thing that can free you down here. And so if you're not set free here, you'll never be free here. And you can try all day long to say, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. And it will not do any good whatsoever. As a matter of fact, you'll just misplace your addictions in somewhere else. Okay? But here the contrast is, is that instead of focusing on the things down here and trying to beat the things down here, it's not a bad desire. And, and those that were seeking to obey whatever laws, whatever rules, whatever regulations, were doing it maybe with even decent motives, wanted to, uh, I, I want to please God, I, I, I'm not going to do this, I'm not, not going to do this, I'm not going to do this. But they weren't looking to God as the source of the power to overcome that which was right in front of them. And the law will never bring about righteousness. You can't obey the law for righteousness. You must find it all in Christ. And in Christ, he will set you free from the law and you will live continually in righteousness because you're living in his righteousness to live as christ and that christ is christ is the only righteousness that we can ever even hope to take part in and when we take part in his righteousness it's full righteousness well we're you see the contrast so we look to heaven to get freedom down here well we set our <clears throat> heart on and our desire on, our pursuit on Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, it says, set your minds also on the things that are above, not things that are on earth. So we are to set our heart, we are to long for, desire for, pray that God would change your desires. He's the one that changes the desires. He's the one that changes the inner man and, and the, the soul and the being. Pray that God would change your desires. He will. He'll give you a desire for the things that are above and not the things that are below. And if you pursue after him and long for him, then 
and the things down here will start to change. But that comes about through the changing of your mind and the gaining of knowledge. All knowledge starts with what? The fear of the Lord. The beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. And to know who the Lord is and to fear him, to respect him, to stand in awe of him is to, be, is to become full of wisdom and knowledge. The knowledge that is in Christ. All, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are, are hidden where? Come on, this is Colossians. In Christ Jesus, right? As you pursue after Christ and your mind is awakened and revived and renewed into the things of God and it will give you insight. And what it will do is it will clarify for you what you should do and what you shouldn't do. Not because you've labeled what you should do and what you shouldn't do, but because Christ, who is your righteousness, will guide you and lead you and it will be written on your heart what you can and can't do. And you won't do it out of that's what flowing out of you, out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Out of what flows out of the heart is telling of what's inside of it it's it's internal to external okay so you need your mind you need your heart changed you need your mind changed and then the external comes you can't make an external vow to make an internal change and an external change comes from an internal vow does that make sense the only way that your hands get it right is if your heart and your head's already been regenerated in christ and it just flows out through your hands okay these are the ways that we overcome, uh, that we stop the indulgence of the flesh. So you, you're uh, hung up in a sin, you're hung up in an addiction, and you say, I don't know how to do this. How many of you have done this? You say, I'm hung up in an addiction, uh, I'm smoking cigarettes, or I'm, I'm drinking too much alcohol, or uh, I'm watching this thing I shouldn't watch. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to set uh, um, guards on my phone. I'm going to set, I'm going to get rid of my TVs. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this, 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 and this, right? I'm going to set these guidelines on my phone so I can't even go to those websites anymore, right? And what do you do? Three o'clock in the morning, you're like, what was that password again? You, you find a way, right? You find a way. It only intensifies because you set the guard, and now it's continually in the back of your mind going, I'm over here. You set the guard so you know the code. Come and look. It doesn't do any good. It's actually worse. But if you set your mind on the things above, what happens is, is that you get so overwhelmed with the Lord Jesus Christ that you forget about those things. I've said it often here, and I'll say it again. I, it, there is a possibility that you could be so in love with the Lord Jesus Christ that not only is it possible for you not to sin, but it's hard to sin. I'm telling you the truth. Okay, so Mark, we've done this illustration how many times? Okay, so many of you, this is sin, Okay. Many of us, let's say us, because I fall into this trap. Many of us say, I can over, now we, everybody knows we need to overcome the, fle uh, the flesh, right? We need to overcome sin, or, or most of you in here, you know, I hope, you know, some people are like, woohoo, sin. But most of you are like, man, I hate my sin, I don't want to do sin anymore, right? But, but, but you try to be like, okay, I'm going to go up against my sin, and I'm, I'm going to win, right? I'm going to put, I'm going to put up a, 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 a password. I'm going to set, a, I'm gonna set a, 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 a setting on my phone that won't let me go to those things. Uh, I'm going I'm to take all the food out of the house that's no good for me, right? I'm going to do all of these things. But what we find is, is that when we fight against the sin through the flesh and through the will and through determination and through written laws and regulations and, and written codes, that we're not strong enough to beat sin. Sin will always wear you out. The only way to defeat sin is to repent. And what is it to repent? 
is to repentance by definition is a 180 degree turn. And the only thing that exists at a 180 degree turn from sin is what? Christ, who is the opposite of sin. In him, he is light in him. There is no darkness at all. And so we do not win against sin by fighting against sin. We win against sin by turning to Christ and moving towards him. That's the only way. Christ is the one that's overcome sin. You say that's too simple, Brandon. It's too simple. You're giving people a license to sin. Well, we're, we're going to continue on. So we set our minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Uh, and when, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then, then you also will appear with him. Well, let's, okay, so we, we are to seek the things that are above. We are to set our mind on the things that are above because we have died and our life is now hidden with Christ. So let's put these two things together. Look with me at Romans chapter 2. It uses the same exact language of setting your mind above, um, coming into this right relationship with, with God. Romans chapter 2, I'm, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what is good, pleasing, and the perfect will of God. Only by the renewal of your mind through the personal work of Jesus Christ can you even know what God wants. That you can rightly divide the word of God, that you can rightly understand. That, see, these things are spiritually discerned. You can't just read something and say, yeah, I'm going to do that. But you must be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit and awakened to the truths of God, transformed from the inside out. And why? It says because or for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. Well, those who are in Christ have died. What does that mean? It means that the old man who was seeking to please God by observing the written codes and by debasing the flesh, abasing the flesh and failing miserably is dead. How many have walked into the room and say, I'm no good, 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 and therefore I can't have a relationship with God. I can't live with God. I've broken the code, I've broken the code, I've broken the code, and everybody knows they're no good. And the crazy thing is, is that oftentimes we as Christians, we just want to adopt that same thing. When Paul says, you who have begun in the Spirit, are you now so foolish to having begun in the Spirit that you are being perfected in the flesh? Speaking to the Galatians who were being told that you need to go back and observe the law to finish out your faith. And Paul says, you started in the Spirit, you're going to finish in the Spirit. It's God who is perfecting you. It's the Spirit of God who is going to bring out the sanctification and cause you to walk in His ways. You see, we are, 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 we are so glad that the old man is dead. And then we just put his shoes right back on and keep walking. The old man, he says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You've died to that old way of thinking. 
You've died to that old, I have to obey or God doesn't love me. I have to obey or I, I'm, I'm no good. I have to obey or, or I don't have relationship. When God has said, Christ has obeyed so that you can have relationship. Now go ye therefore and sin no more. So <laughs> still seems like conflicting ideas, doesn't it? The old man who was seeking to please God by observing the written code and failing miserably is dead. He is dead to the law. Romans 7, 4 says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, that you may belong to another and to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit. You see the same language? It says, Christ who is your life, when he appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. It says you have died with Christ and your, your life is now hidden in Christ. But when Christ appears, you will appear with him in glory. The bottom line is, is that we do not submit ourselves to the law of God in order to maintain relationship with God, but we submit our lives to God and we put our eyes on Christ so that we would be brought into full righteousness that is in Christ Jesus. And this is not just the law of Moses, but it is the law of, of creation. It is every idea, every thought, every, every principle. 613 laws or so in the Old Testament. The law of Christ swallows those up in every other idea that you could have ever imagined what it would be like to be faithful to God. What does it mean when he says, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory? Well, the most common understanding of this, and I'm going to admit that I'm going to, to be uncommon here. The most common understanding of this is a futuristic outlook to the return of Jesus Christ. Okay? I'm not going to say that it can't mean that or it doesn't mean that. It can be twofold for, for all I care. I think that, that both would fit. I'm, I'm okay with either. The text says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And, and to kind of put these two together, I understand that to mean that you have died to trying to pursue a relationship with God or to be a good person by the things that you do. And you understand all of your life, your existence is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Okay? You no longer get any of your points from the observance of any law, okay? All of your life is with Christ. Every aspect, all of your justification, sanctification, your maturity, your progress, your growth is all in Christ Jesus. But then, so it's hidden in Christ, but then it appears, okay? Now check it out. It says, when Christ who is your life appears then you also will appear with him in glory. The, the question here is, when is the then? Okay? When is the then in this verse? When Christ appears, when your life, it says, when, uh, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Well, I believe that right here in the text, it'll give us an answer to it. And I believe it's already spoken to this in chapter one. Watch what he says. In verse uh, 9, do not lie to one another 
seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, having put on the new self, which is being, that's a present tense, that is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. The idea here is that as you pursue after the Lord Jesus Christ and as you are molded and shaped and, and you are transformed and you, and you are transitioning from your, your, your debased mind into your heavenly mind, okay? You've been born again and you're growing up in the faith. That the, that the closer you grow to God, the more you set your mind on God, the more you set your heart on God, the more you look to Christ, the more like Christ you will become. And, and you will be, be conformed to the image of the Son. You see it there? And as you grow in your faith, as you put off the old self, and as you put on the new self, it's being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. You begin to look more and more like Jesus Christ as you grow in him. So what does that mean? You see this image starting to, to come alive. It means that Christ who is righteousness, will start to appear in Robert. Will start to appear in Dakota. Will start to appear in Amy. You say, well, I think you're stretching it, bro. The text doesn't really say that. Well, the text says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, Christ, who is your life, when he appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And it goes on to say, and you're putting on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So the more and more you get renewed, the more the image of Christ is appearing in you. Now watch, you say, I don't, I still, I'm not convinced. And you cannot be convinced. You can just think it's futuristic. That's fine. I don't have a problem with that. The, the text is fine with that too. But I want to show you this. Look back with me in, uh, look back with me in verse, chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. I want to I I show you this. Chapter 1, <clears throat> verses 26, let's just read from, from 24. Now remember, remember what I'm thinking that the text is saying, that that you have died with Christ and your life is now hidden with him. And, he, and when he who is your life appears, that you will appear with him in glory. Okay? That when Christ appears, the glory of God appear, appears in you. Okay? Now watch what Paul says. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of, of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make, watch, to make the word of God fully known. Now watch what he does with that. This is really cool. The, so he's going through this and he became a minister according to the stewardship of God that was given to him for you, for us, to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. And that word to his saints, that's in, at, by, with, to, or for. I would suggest that that could be to or in. 
Read it that way. I'm telling you. The mystery uh, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed in his saints, which is what the context is teaching anyway. It's revealed to his saints, in his saints. Listen to this. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his, this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Do you see it? When Christ is in you and the life of God is hidden in Jesus Christ and he comes in and he fills you up and he starts to lead you and he starts to fill you and it starts to come out of you, what happens is, is that the mystery of God is revealed gloriously to a lost and dying world, bringing in outsiders into the promise of God. And this glorious truth that was hidden for ages is now revealed in you as Christ appears in you. I mean, just, this is to me and you. This is to me and you, Charlie Edwards. This is to you, brother. It says, I mean, this, this is to you, okay? This is you, okay? Y'all hold on for a minute. This is to you. Now watch. To them, okay, to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. You see, Christ longs to make the riches of his glory known to the outside world. How, Charlie? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see? Jesus Christ comes and dwells in Charlie Edwards. And when he dwells in Charlie Edwards, and Charlie sets his mind on the things of God. And his heart is on the things of God. And he starts to be transformed. And, and he was seeking to do the right things, maybe. He was seeking to be a good man. And, and he was working out all the time. And he was wanting to be amazing, right? And it was just not working. But then the Lord, the Lord changed Charlie. He transformed that man. And he lit a fire under him. And things that Charlie couldn't do forever. Things that Brandon could not do on his own. No, you don't know how many times I wanted to quit doing drugs. You don't know how many times I wanted to stop being a, a, a wretch. You don't know how many times I wanted to not live this wretched, stinking, putrid existence that people call life. And it was death. And I tried. I'm not telling you this just because I read it in a book. I'm telling you this because I've been there, Steve, and I know the one who can let you out. I have been there. I have known what it's like to not be able to be set free, no matter how many rules, no matter how many regulations. And the more I put on, the more I broke off. Because can't nobody hold me down. But when Christ came in, and he grabbed me up. He didn't put shackles on me. He took them off. And he showed me a new way to live. And he showed me a new hope. He gave me a new story. He put a new song in my heart. And I sing that song. And that's the only way, Charlie, that not only you can know the glory of God, but that you, brother, can be 
a mirror and a magnifying glass for the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That when you walk up in a room, people will say, God is here. Not because Charlie's there, but because God is there. And you know I'm telling the truth, too. Because you know believers who have been set free by the power of the gospel and people say, that cannot be that man. That cannot be that woman. That's the power of God. The power of God going into effect. <clears throat> Sorry, I've about lost my voice. Well, that's my understanding. The kingdom, and here's this wrap it up. The kingdom that is to come in all its glory. Ooh, this is so good. I just want you to just soak in this for a minute, Star. You ready? You ready? The kingdom that is to come. Because, see, I do believe it has a future aspect, obviously. When Christ appears in glory, whew. but that kingdom that he will bring and make manifest in our presence in real time and in reality. Charlie, you ain't mad at me, are you? Okay, okay. I want to make sure. I, was just, I just love you. I know you're tough. That's all I can pick on you. The kingdom that is to come in all its glory is being made known here and now as Christ is appearing or being made manifest in you. <laughs> thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Did you know you're the temple of the Holy Spirit? Did you know that you are the dwelling place of God where God comes and dwells amongst his people? You are being renewed into the image of your creator who put a human suit on and was God in the flesh. And now you understand that in your human suit dwells God who has made you alive. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Well, See how much time I got? I got three minutes. You want to keep going or you want to just wrap it? Wrap it? I, I, you outvoted, bro. No. <laughs> okay, a little bit more. A little bit more. Okay, a little bit more. Y'all ain't got nowhere to go. It's snow. But they want to go play in the snow. So let's, let's, let's wrap it up. We'll start, we'll start wrapping. Um, six more verses. I've done four. I said I was going to serve 11, but we'll see. Put the day. Okay, so let me at least answer this question. I could just do this all day. It's so fun, right? But Steve took all my time. <laughs> Thanks a lot, bro. No. Such a wonderful testimony. I love it. You could have just kept going. I'm not telling you that for next time, but that time you could have kept going. <laughs> no, I love your heart. I think, and it's weird, you know, because I didn't have a clue what you're going to say, but I think that this is living and breathing in Steve. <laughs> I mean, who would say amen? I mean, it's living and breathing in our brother. I mean, I'm just preaching what you just testified. Well, many would say, well, that's all well and good, but this, this hyper-spiritualism creates too much room for disobedience and lawlessness. 
And this is what, this is what Paul got accused of too. And uh, I get it. I get it. Um, but, I, but I wrote this as actually um, as Steve was talking. This just hit me. This, this is what just hit me. It's, if the message of freedom in Christ is a license to sin, then the gospel has never taken root and brought change within. See, you don't have to shackle believers with a code. It doesn't matter if it's a modern-day cultural thing of, you know, what you should watch on television or whatever, or whether it's Levitical law. It, it, you don't have to shackle them because... The law of God is written on their heart. And that the, the life that they live is the life that God loves. It is the fulfillment of everything that the law pointed to because to live is Christ. But to push on that a little bit further for just a few more minutes, we'll talk about, we'll go through verse 8 because they're all kind of tied together and we'll say the next the rest for next week. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Okay, so the question is answered here to, okay, can we just do whatever we want to? Well, no. The, the command here, the call here is to put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And he names some. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Coarse joking and cursing and just foul language. I want you to notice something as we, as we look at these few things here. The Bible is clearly teaching that in Christ, and we're going to go back and touch on this, and this will be a good place to finish anyway. That what the law, weak as it was through the flesh, could not do, God did. So what was the law for? The law was a reminder, okay? It was a reminder of what holiness looked like. It was a reminder of... The fact that sin kills, when we look at the sacrificial aspects of the law, ceremonial law, it was to, uh, it was to, the Galatians calls it a tutor. It was one who is kind of babysitting you, teaching you, leading you, shaping you, pointing you to what? The Christ, it was pointing to you, keeping you in check. Because apart from, from grace, apart from some type of constraints that men and women go wild, right? It was holding you. It was binding you until the fulfilling of the law, until the coming of the Messiah who all of the law pointed to. Colossians tells us that these are a shadow. The substance is Christ. The law could not, so the law was meant also to set apart a people, the people of God. The law was given to a specific people in a specific time for a specific purpose. And it had many different reasons and many different purposes. But part of those purposes were for consecration, to set them apart, separation, to, to make it 
easily distinguishable between them and everyone else that existed around them. But as holy and as perfect as the law was to bring about obedience to God, it couldn't do it. Hebrews says if that first covenant would have been faultless, there wouldn't have been a need for the next, and by implication that there was a fault with the law. And you should be asking a question at this point going, well, Brandon, you said the law is perfect and holy at least eight times, but now you said there was fault with the law. That the law wasn't perfect. So which is it? Is the law perfect or is the law not perfect? Something can't be perfect and not perfect at the same time. Law of non-contradiction. Well, the problem is is that the, the perfect law was imperfected by the fallible and deceitful and sinful flesh. The weakness of the law wasn't in the law itself. It was in the flesh that could not obey, that would not obey. That rebelled against God in every way. The law could not bring about righteousness. It never has and it never will. But therefore the question is. So are you telling me that we can just break the law? That we can live lawlessly? Absolutely not. The text here says put to death therefore what is earthly. What's the therefore therefore? Well, it's because you've been set apart in Christ. You've been fulfilled in Christ. You've been filled in Christ. And you're setting your mind on the things above and not the things below. And look at what it says in the, again in verse 23. It says, these have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. He's not saying that it's, that it's fine to not stop the indulgence of the flesh. He's saying that this was not good for stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let me show you another way. And that in Christ Jesus, in the renewal of your mind, in being made like Christ, you do stop the indulgence of the flesh. As a matter of fact, verse uh, 5, you're putting to death, therefore. Since this is a reality, that's what it's there for. Since this is a reality with Christ, since your life is hidden with Christ, since it is appearing in Christ, and since you are being glorified through Christ and he's using you, you are the hope of Christ. You are the hope of glory. Uh, as Christ is revealed in you, Christ in you is the hope of glory. Put to death what is earthly in you, sexual morality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. What do you notice about these things? They're not specific things that are guidelines about specific areas of your life, but they're general truths about the inward man. I don't really have time to get into all that today, so I'm going to save that for next week. But this is, this is what I'm going to say. So here's the question. So does the teaching of Paul on being dead to the law mean that we are free to sin? No, it can't. Is Paul's teaching of being released from the law, Romans 7, 6, the law being abolished, Ephesians 2.15, the law being obsolete, the old covenant being obsolete, Hebrews 8.13, teaching that circumcision counts for nothing, Ephesians 6.15, or even in uh, 1 Corinthians 7.18 and 19, telling the new uncircumcised, uncircumcised believers to not seek circumcision. Is this a lesser or a more shallow view of holy living? Seems at first glance, especially if you were brought up in a a Jewish home that had taught you this is what you do. You are circumcised. You only eat these things. You do this, 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 and this, and this is how you know if you are a child of God. This is how you know if you are a part of God's people. 
would it be less holy for Paul to then say these things about this old covenant, about this law of it being obsolete? And is it lesser or more shallow? No, it can't be. It never is. I'll leave you with these thoughts, and I'm going to give you these texts to look on. And here's the question. Is the law being fulfilled completely in Jesus Christ and us being released from the law, dead to the law, the law being made obsolete and abolished and circumcision counting for nothing, and the list goes on and on. Is this reality and this teaching, is it a lesser view of holiness and a more probable life to sin? Or is it more holy and you're less likely to sin, thereby fulfilling that law which was given? I'll give you this last quote as we all stand to our feet. As we think about these things, and as we ask ourselves, this is the text I want you to look at this week, and I just want you to think about what Christ has done. Two texts, one in Matthew chapter 5, the other in John chapter 19. Jesus says this. John, I mean, Matthew 5, verse 17. Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished not one jot not one tittle until all is accomplished let's turn over to John chapter 19 Jesus Christ in fulfilling the redemptive work of God and laying his life down for all of our sins having lived that perfect life that we could not live having made every provision for you by not relaxing one jot not one tittle, but fulfilling every iota of the law. Being nailed upon the tree, Colossians chapter 2 tells us that this is how he set aside the record of debt, having nailed it to the tree. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now accomplished, now finished, said, to fulfill the scripture, 
I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Listen. If you don't hear anything else I've said today, I am not. I think you know me better than that. But I am not telling you you can go commit sins. And it doesn't matter. But actually I did go back and forth on thinking about this. Does the new covenant teaching in the scripture teach that you can do whatever you want to do? Actually, if you've got the right desires, it does. You see, the longing of your heart is to be Christ. The passions and your desires are to be all in Christ. God does not want you to does not want to keep you from the things you want. He just wants to change the things you want into the things that He wants for you. He longs to give you the, the, the grandest desires of your heart if the grandest desires of your heart are Christ. God has set you free. He has set you free to live. And to live is Christ. I have no life in and of myself. I have no righteousness. The righteousness I have is the righteousness of Christ. The life I live, I now live in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that holiness, that righteousness goes far deeper than you could possibly imagine. We'll talk about that next week. And we'll talk about the law of Christ as it relates to the law of Moses. And it relates to the holiness and the righteousness of the believer. Is the law of Christ more or less? Is it the same? Is it one in one? Is it equivalent? Start searching the scriptures. Let's sharpen each other as we come back. I'll tell you this. Every ounce, every jot, every tittle of any righteousness that you could possibly take advantage of is in Christ and Christ alone. And only in Him will your debt be forgiven as it was nailed to the tree. And only by the power of the Holy Spirit will you walk in that and be renewed in the renewing of your mind. Set your eyes on Christ, put your heart on the things above, and set your mind on the things above where your life is hidden in Christ and ready to be revealed in you to all creation. Respond to Christ.